We'll turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, the scripture will be on the screen. But we start a new series that we've entitled Essential Elements. It's going to be a six-week series, and it serves as a series in between two longer series. We just finished a year's study out of the book of the Gospel of John. And enjoyed our time learning about the mission of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the messages of Jesus. And now we uh, find ourselves looking forward to our next series out of the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, which will take us to Christmas, our time and celebration of Christmas. But for the next six weeks, your campus pastors, uh, some months ago, made a decision that this in-between time, we wanted to do a different kind of sermon series. In fact, what you're going to hear today is going to be a little different than what you've uh, been hearing or, or have heard with regards to the kind of sermon. If you're new here, this will be a different kind of sermon. But it's a sermon that we need to talk about, and it's a set of sermons that we need to hear because we have to, at time, from time to time as a church, ask the question, what are the essential elements... For us as a church, what makes a church a church? Many times we just show up here and we're a part of things and we don't know why we're a part of them. We do things and we don't know why we do them. And it's important from time to time that the leaders stop, evaluate, and sometimes educate the church why we are doing what we do and why it is so important. And so based on Acts chapter 2, the early church... We are going to look at uh, the essential elements that made the first church what it is. The passage in Acts chapter 2 tells us this, if you want to throw that on the screen for me. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and favor, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily that was, that were being saved. So Acts 2, 42-47, the first beginnings of the church are going to be where we springboard from. And so the essential elements we have is the Word of God, fellowship, hospitality, prayer, generosity, and evangelism. We believe, if you will, those are the molecules that make the church what God intended for it to be. Now... When we talk about church, most often, especially what we're looking for in a church, those things don't come to the forefront. In fact, many times, if there's a place where preferences seem to become priorities, it's within the church world. This morning you came to church. And you came with a set of preferences of what you're looking for. When you are looking for a new church, many times preferences become the thing. So, did the church have a service that works for you? Uh, does uh, it have parking for you when you come in? Or were you grumbling right away saying, I had to park far away. Why don't they fix this problem? When you get into the church, people greet you. And some of you might say, well, I don't want to be greeted. Just leave me alone. Other people say, hey, doesn't anybody care that I'm here? You get a bulletin. 
And the bulletin has lots of pictures. And you're like, well, I need more information. And when is so-and-so's anniversary and all that? A good bulletin has this. A good bulletin has that. Then you come into this place. And your preferences say, the music's too loud. Some say the music's too soft. We don't sing the old stuff. Others say we don't sing the new stuff. Uh, we say the room's too dark. The room's too bright. We say uh, that the room is too cold. It's too hot. And we go through all of these preferences. And then the bald guy gets up. <laughs> is he going to be funny? Is he going to say something that is going to shake me? Is it going to be relevant to me? But let's just be honest. How long is he going to talk? I'm in this last service. There's not another service that stops him from being done. Preferences. I want you to know something. We live in a world where church has become about us instead of God. And I want you to know what Jesus, one of the last things Jesus told his disciples is this. He said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. I want you to know Village Bible Church is not about you. It's not about me. That any biblical church has to be about God. It has to be about Christ. This is his place. It's not ours. So what we want to ask is not what our preferences are. And listen, real quickly, all of those preferences are totally fine to have. They're not sinful. They make us who we are. What becomes sinful, what becomes wrong, is when preferences elevate themselves to what God says are priorities. I'll just be honest with you, and it may surprise you. There's some things in this church I don't like. And I have the great opportunity of leading it with the elders. And there's things that I would rather not have. There's things that I wish we didn't do, but they're not priorities because I need to remember it's not about the pastor. It's about Christ and about Christ being elevated and exalted in everything that we say and do. And so we come to the first in the book of Acts. It says they devoted themselves. They were dedicated to. They were uh, under compulsion by their desire to hear the word of God. And so today we want to talk about this essential element of preaching. Now the weird thing about this sermon is that I'm going to preach about preaching. I am going to be the preacher who's going to talk about what you need to look for in a preacher. I am going to evaluate myself in front of you and I'm going to do so by preaching you a sermon. It's like preaching in a mirror. And so this is going to be a little different, but we're going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And what we're going to see is Paul is going to declare some truths about preaching. Paul is writing, the Apostle Paul is writing his last letter that he will write in the Bible. And he's about to die, and he's leaving some lasting words of legacy to his spiritual son or disciple, Timothy. Timothy is a pastor, like myself of a local church that local church was in the church it was in the city of Ephesus which is in modern day Turkey and it was a healthy and vibrant church it had a great pastor and it was doing a lot of great things and Paul says this follow with me I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom preach the word 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. If we want to make the first essential element part and parcel of our church, Village Bible Church must be a church that preaches the Word of God. And that means we need to do some things. So I want you to see five things this morning. Get your pens ready. You're going to fill in some blanks. I'll give you some things along the way to write down as well. The first thing we need to recognize is we need to recognize the mistakes that are being made. I wish I could say that we don't need to have this sermon because not only here but all over America, the problem of preaching was non-existent. But that's not the case. In the book of Amos, Amos said that there was a famine coming to the people of God. Not a famine of crops, not a famine of livestock, but he said a famine of hearing the word of God. In America, we have a famine when it comes to hearing the word of God. Now, Amos was talking about the 400 years of the uh, time span between the Old Testament and the New Testament... What I'm talking about is people come to church now and they don't hear the Word of God preached. Now, let's be honest. In any church, across denominational lines, large and small, the components of church are all the same. You come in, you're usually given a bulletin, there's singing of songs, there's prayers that are lifted up, there are different traditions, baptism, communion that are observed. And then someone, at some point, does what I'm doing right now. They get up and they start talking, and the people listen. The problem is, is that in that moment, in many churches today, the Word isn't being preached. At a recent dessert night where we welcome new people uh, that are attending village, we bring them and invite them to a time to get to know other people from the church, and we'll sit together, this happens in uh, our living room in Hinkley, and we say, hey, what, what brought you to village? Help us understand what, what brought you, how you got here. And one couple not too long ago said, we knew village was the right place. After visiting seven or eight different churches, you had us when you said, open your Bible. I said, what do you mean? They said, we didn't need our Bible at the other churches. We never opened it. We never talked about it. We never taught from it. Now, I don't know if that's true, if the churches they were part of just were having bad days. I, I don't know. But if that's the case, we are in a whole heap of trouble. The job of churches is to preach the Word. Now, notice that we are living in a time that the Apostle Paul says in verse 3 was there in Ephesus. For the time is coming... When people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. What Paul is saying is there's a time coming when people will come to church for what they get, not what God should receive. Get this out of your mind really, really quickly, and this might be offensive to some. 
Church is not a spectator event. You are here not to be the recipient, but to be the giver. And here's what it is. You come to church. I come to church to give God the glory He deserves. And so we come to church ready to be participants in giving God the glory that is due His name. And God says, if you won't do it, I'll have the rocks do it. I'm going to receive glory. And so when the assembled church gathers together, it isn't, listen, you do not come as a consumer. We did not build this service. Listen to me very carefully. We did not build this service thinking, how are we going to make you happy? Village Bible Church exists for an audience of one. And if God does not stand up and applaud our work, we should lock up the doors and sell the buildings and go do something else because it's an utter waste of time. And so if you have come and you're like, okay, what's the church going to do for me? Understand that before we get to any of your needs, the number one need is God's in the house and we want to make sure that we do Him right. We talk about Him, we praise Him, we make much of Him. And notice that that is not, Paul says, going to be what people are looking for. And so people are going to look, I want, now notice what it says, they're going to want teaching and church to suit their own passions, their own desires. And we get there when we say, I wish the church would do this, I wish the church would do that. Those are selfish passions. But notice, it isn't just you, the people, that are the problem. It's preachers. So what will happen is, it's one thing for the church to have that kind of feeling, but the problem is, then preachers will get up and they'll say, but listen, what I'm preaching, people don't want to hear. And so what I will do is, I will change how I preach And I will accommodate their desires. And so all we talk about is what you want to talk about. We talk about what the world wants to talk about. And the problem is, is we have gone away from what Paul says is preaching the word. I like what Steve Lawson says when he puts it this way. He says, as the church advances into the 21st century, the stress to produce booming ministries has never been greater. Influenced by corporate mergers, towering skyscrapers, expanding economies, bigger is perceived as better, and now, and nowhere is this Wall Street mentality more evident than in the church. Sad to say, pressure to produce bottom line results has led many churches to sacrifice the centrality of biblical preaching on the altar of man-centered pragmatism. A new way of doing church has emerged. And this radical paradigm shift, exposition, that is biblical preaching, has been replaced by entertainment. Preaching with performances, doctrine with drama, and theology with theatrics. The pulpit, which was once a focal point of the church, is now being overshadowed by a variety of church growth techniques. Everything from trendy worship styles to glitzy presentations and vaudeville-like pageantries in a seeking to capture the upper hand in church growth, a new wave of pastors is reinventing church and repackaging the gospel in a product to be sold to consumers. But with every newly added novelty, the straightforward expounding of the Bible is being relegated to a secondary role, furthering requiring an unwavering commitment to feeding people God's word through the relentless biblical preaching and teaching. 
That's why a sermon like this is so important. And so we need to recognize there's a problem. What I'm saying, and I want this to be clear before I move to the second point, is this. Not all preaching is created equal. Just because someone gets up and stands behind something like this podium and does what I'm doing means it's good. And so we need to recognize and understand what does biblical preaching look like? So let's look at the second thing. Let's rediscover some things. What is the mission of preaching supposed to look like? Paul says, notice in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. What I'm doing right now, listen to me, is demanded and commanded by God to do. Paul says in the witness list of God himself, you got to do this. And you've got to do this in such a way that you will be judged by God as to how you do it. And so, listen, my goal at the end of this is not for you to hold up good scorecards and say, man, that was a good sermon. I appreciate it. But at the end of the day, I have to ask the question, what did God say about what I just did? And what Paul says is he says, okay, how you know you're doing this right is you preach the word. That phrase preach there is literally the word herald, to herald something. We don't talk about heralds very often, but heralds are messengers. They were messengers who were used by kings in kingdoms. So there would be a king and he would want a message to go out to his entire kingdom, to all of his citizenry. And because there wasn't streaming technology and there wasn't television, the king would bring all of these heralds, these messengers, who would be brought to his throne room. And he would say this, listen, I have a decree. I want all of my citizens to live by this decree. And so I'm going to give you this message. This is what I want you to tell the subjects of my kingdom. I want you to take my message And the way I'm going to evaluate you, messenger, you herald, is whether or not my message is the same message they hear. And so the king would many times put to death messengers who didn't articulate clearly what he had communicated to them. Their whole job was to take from point A the message to point B. That the, mess, the, the people heard the same message that he did. The job that Timothy has and the one that I have before us is to preach the message from God our King. And my job is to be the man who takes the message from God. And where do I get that? I don't get it because I'm the messenger. I've simply been told the message from the Word. You can do that as well. That's why many teachers are in this church. We receive the message from the Word. And we take the message and we present the message to the people. I will be evaluated. I will be judged on whether I do that or not. Now, what I need to ask is, is my message what God wants to say? Listen to this. The only way that you can know that that's the case is this. If you are a part of a church that doesn't open this book, you're hearing from a man, not God. 
if a message isn't going through this book and constantly pointing to this book and drawing truths from this book, you heard a speech from a man, not a message from God. Because I'm just the mouthpiece. These are the words that I hold in my hand that you have in your lap. These words are from God. God wrote a book. The God of the universe wrote a book and He has given this book to us and you didn't come to hear from Tim. Because if you did, you're wasting your time. Because I got nothing to tell you. But as I explore this book, as I educate myself in this book, my job is to take what I've learned in this book and to present it to you fully knowing that God is watching what I'm doing. He's saying, listen, that's not what I said. You're a lousy messenger. And the book of James says, hey, don't be so quick to say, I wish I could have Tim's role because the Bible says in the book of James, Tim is going to be held to a higher standard. So while you're going through the 20 items and less judgment line... God's going to say, oh, there's Pastor Tim. Hey, move to the left. And let's explore. You've reached a lot of sermons. I've preached over a thousand sermons in my time here at Village Bible Church. A thousand times I have gotten up and I have said, thus saith the Lord. And I wonder if the Lord's saying, that ain't me. You can say that's me, but it's not. And so how do we know... If we're preaching the Word, we need to recognize that this preaching accomplishes a message. Number three, it accomplishes a message. And what is that message to accomplish? What is it to address? Well, we're told, first of all, it's to happen in season and out of season. And so every day we get up. Now listen, every Sunday there's a message to be preached. God's people are gathered And we're to devote ourselves to the Word of God, the book of Acts says. And so I'll be honest with you, there are times I don't want to preach. You're like, well, I don't want to be here. Well, we're in the same boat. There are times my week hasn't gone the way I've wanted it to. Many of you know this isn't my only job. You know, yesterday, and I'm not doing this to guilt anybody, it's a decision I've made. It was a 14-hour workday for me yesterday. 7 o'clock this morning came awful early. I was not like the joy of the Lord is my strength. Amanda said, you got to go. You're the one that's preaching. Now get up. Okay? So there's times I don't want to do it. There are times that I know what I'm going to preach isn't going to be popular. And Paul says to Timothy, you're to do it in season and out of season, whether you want to or not, whether it's popular to do so or not. There may be a day that what is being preached and proclaimed from this pulpit will be censored. This will be one of these days. The times are coming. There will be a time. I don't know, maybe in my generation, maybe not. That what I say could get me in a whole lot of trouble with the law. And the Bible says you're to do it whether you want to or not. That's how important it is, preacher. It's not about you. And so what is it to accomplish? I want you to write down some things. And this is your evaluating tool. Every time I preach, every time anybody fills the pulpit here, we have a lot of people that are moving Man, this should be something you put in your Bible when you look for a new church. Don't look at the building. 
Don't look at the programming. Don't look at all the externals. I want you, when you sit down, I want you to ask this question. When the preaching, as an essential element as it is, when the preacher gets up, you should be able to, with a check mark, just be able to say, yeah, he did that, yep, he did that, yep, that, that. They may not do it the same way as Pastor Tim does, and that's okay. But you should be able to be, be able to say, of these things, this is being done. So notice what Paul says. He says, biblical preaching that is done in season and out of season is going to reprove, rebuke, it's going to exhort, and it's going to teach with complete patience. So I want you to write down five things, okay? Number one, biblical preaching should convict me in my thinking. It should convict me in my thinking. That's the word reprove. Literally, reprove in the Greek is to bring something to light. It was a legal term that Paul is using of a prosecutor who is beginning his opening address to a courtroom to convince the courtroom of something. And so the first thing biblical preaching should do is present a case against someone that they're prosecuting against. Biblical preaching should do this. It should say to the audience, we've got a problem. We have a problem, and the problem is this. We live in a universe created by a holy, perfect God. And that perfect and holy God, out of benevolence in his heart, desired to share that creation, that universe with us. Why he did it, I don't know. We're lesser creatures than the angels who he had already created, but he made a decision. I'm going to create these people called humans, and I'm going to bless them with the world I've created. I'm going to make them the pinnacle of my creation. And so you're sitting here, instead of being a slug, enjoying the mud, and God has said, I've made you like me, so that you can relate with me and so I can share my glory with you. The moment we got that, our predecessors, Adam and Eve, and us by choice said, we don't want you, God. We want to do it our way. And for all of our existence, we have rebelled against that holy God. And because of that, listen to me, every problem that we face in this world is because of our sin at the root. Because God created us as perfect beings. God created a perfect universe to be us to be a part of. And so we can think we can get mad at God. God made it perfect. We messed it up. And so the pr biblical preacher, every sermon needs to stop and say, Hey church, we've got a problem. We've got a problem called sin. Now, without naming names, and you can jump to whatever conclusions you want, and I want to be as humble and gracious in saying this, the biggest church of which you can watch on TV almost every day, you can listen to on a serious radio, the preacher there who is known as the greatest, most well-known preacher in all of America and maybe all of the world, will never ever say in a single sermon of his, we've got a problem. He never says it. It's not biblical preaching. I don't care what you want to call it. It's not biblical preaching. Because if we don't say we've got a problem, then we need no solution. 
There's no solution necessary. We don't need a Savior if we're not sinful. And so I need to bring us to a place where I say, hey, we got to understand our fallen condition. And so what's the fallen condition in this sermon? We're not preaching the Word. We have rebelled from hearing God's Word. We have turned off our listening, and we have gathered preachers who will suit our selfish desires. And so you and I need to hear that we've got a preaching problem. But it goes farther than that. It is to not only reprove, speak generally to the problem, it is to rebuke. It's personal. And that means not only am I to convict you in your thinking, I am to confront you in your sin. This is where the preacher starts pointing fingers. Not only do we have a problem, but you as individuals have a problem. Now, time out right away. Some of you who haven't been with us are like, whoa, dude. You're going to point your finger at me? And what I will tell you is, yes, I will point the finger at you. But if you've been around this church for any amount of time, you know that before I ever point the finger at you, I spend a whole lot of time pointing it at myself. And I tell you, I'm way worse off than you are. Because I should know better. I'm preaching this. I'm dedicated to uh, studying these passages and, and being the leader that God's called me to be. And I mess up big time. And so we need to point and we need to allow biblical preaching to confront us. It should rebuke us. It should stand and say, not only has the world got a problem, I've got a problem. The Bible says we all like sheep have gone astray, each one of us going our own way. And so sermon upon sermon should be, all right, yeah, the world's got a problem and I'm participating in it. There are things that I'm doing that should not be done. And so the preacher has the hard job of telling people, not only do we have a problem, but now you have a problem. Can I tell you that's not a popular place to be? You don't make friends with that. And if you think that it's just simply Tim telling you it, you're going to hate me really, really quickly. But if you recognize all I am is the messenger of it, and I myself, if I wasn't here, I'd be sitting out there and preaching this to myself, then you'll recognize that this is God speaking to us. That's why William Barclay says this, any preacher or teacher who makes men think less of their sin is a menace to Christianity and to mankind. So, I'm supposed to beat you up. That's what the text says. Okay? And you're like, well, I don't like that. That's not very nice. And the answer is, you're right. It's not very nice. And that's why the verse doesn't stop there. Reprove, rebuke, now exhort. That word exhort is to encourage. And so biblically, biblical preaching is to not just point the finger, but it is to hug, if you will, individuals in two ways. One, it is to hug the sinner who says after hearing the world's got a problem, and now you're sitting there and saying, I've got a problem, and you're feeling down in the dumps about it. You're like, oh man... I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't act this way. Now I feel terrible. And there's no hope. And I should never come back to this place again. No, biblical preaching is to comfort people 
when they pursue forgiveness. And so you've blown it. And so I've shown you, the world's got a problem. We all as individuals have a problem. And the person says, I get it. I've got a problem. And not leaving someone in the dumps, but stopping and saying, okay, let me encourage you with some words. If we will confess our sins, Jesus Christ is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so you don't have to live in a place of guilt. You don't have to live in a place of despair. And so every, listen, all preaching should go from what I want to call the fallen position or the fallen place we're at to the cross. And the cross to salvation. That we don't have to live this way anymore. But by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we can have freedom. We can have peace. We can have redemption. We can have joy. We can have fellowship with the God of the universe. And it's because of the forgiveness that Jesus Christ extends to us. And so you comfort that. The second group of people you comfort are those who are doing it right. Those who are living in obedience. And so the job of the preacher isn't just to beat up. It is to lovingly and joyfully tell the listeners, good job. You're doing these things. You should be commended for your faith. So let me do that this morning. I am preaching a sermon about bad preaching and not to fall to bad preaching to a church that has only shown me a hunger for good preaching. I know that because I know what your desire to open the Word means for me when I'm sitting in my uh, desk and thinking I could be doing a lot of other things. I get excited about, man, I'm going to preach this Because people are coming excited to learn. I've got some teachers in our midst, right? We've got a lot of teachers in our church. I will tell you, teachers, there's a lot of joy to teach when you feel like the students are listening. Amen? And I've got a class that loves to be here. Now, I see some of you who are sleeping. I know who you are. Okay? But I want to comfort you in that. I've heard from guest speakers that have come and said, this church loves to hear preaching. And I'm like, they do. And it's grown me in my 20 years of preaching here. And my prayer is that hunger will continue. You're doing a good job. Now, even if you weren't, I need to be careful. Notice it is to be done with complete patience. With complete patience. And so here I've preached a thousand sermons and you still are sinners. You haven't gotten it. What's the problem? Have I not been clear? A thousand more, right? Okay, here's the reason. Because your pastor hasn't gotten it. I'm still a work in progress. And so Paul tells Timothy, be patient with them. They're not going to all get it at the same time. 
This is a couple of weeks ago, I was at Family Youth and Bible Camp and was teaching on the life of Samson. And we had uh, fifth grade up through adulthood in the evening sessions that I was preaching. And we had a group from UIM. Robin had brought uh, like 20 UIM students. And for some of them, they've never been a part of anything like this before. And I was cognizant of that, just wanting to be just make sure that my message was was able to be applicable to them who were so new to this whole concept of sitting and listening to the Word of God preached. And I was so excited. The third, I think the third night, I asked a rhetorical question about the life of Samson. And one of the boys in the UIM group lit up. I mean, just his face. And this is what he mouthed. I got it. I got it. And I wanted to give the opportunity. I did not want that to pass. And I did what could have been a bad thing to do had it not worked out. But it worked out by the grace of God. I pointed him out and I said, you got the answer, don't you? And he goes, I do. And I'm like, please be the right answer. Please. And I got to be honest with you, I was thinking, I hope you're not a Timbadol. Okay? Because if that was me as a kid, I would have really messed up the preacher, right? And the kid gave the right answer. He got it. And there's no better thing than knowing when you, the hearer, get it. Now, I need to be patient with it. One thing I learned from my youth pastor after years of tormenting my youth pastor and student ministries here, I asked my youth pastor, John, I said, why did you stick with me? Why didn't you give up on me? And he gave an illustration I've never forgotten and have applied to my life as a pastor. He said, Tim, ministry is like popping popcorn. He says, you've got to create the environment. And some people are going to pop right away. And others are going to take a while. It's going to take a long time. And some, let's just be honest, may never pop at all. How many of us have eaten a, a, a bowl of popcorn and at the bottom there's unpopped kernels? And some of you, you've popped. You've popped right away. The preaching of the Word of God, you get it. And still others, take a little more heat, take a little more time, and that's okay. And sadly, as we know even from Jesus' life and ministry, some never pop at all. And so we need to be patient, and we need to recognize that it's going to take time. Now notice, so what do you do? Notice it says, with complete patience and teaching. So every Sunday we're going to pick this thing up. A thousand more. If you guys will tarry, a thousand more and we'll, we'll keep going. So what does it do? My two next points are really short, so bear with me. We need to rely on the ministry of the Word. What is the ministry going to do? The text says it is going to make us sober-minded. It's going to help us endure suffering, verse 5 says. It's going to allow us to do the work of an evangelist. And it's going to allow us to fulfill our ministry. I want you to know that what preaching will do is it, and I'm just going to focus on one of these, it's going to steady us in crises. It's going to steady us in crises. We're going to be able to endure suffering. I want you to know, on any given Sunday, there's a lot of things I want to talk about. They have nothing to do with this book. I'm a Cub fan, and I'm saddened to see what my baseball team is right now. I want to talk about it. If anybody will listen to me, I want to talk about that, okay? 
I want to talk about the upcoming football season. I, I want to talk about what's going on in Washington. I want to talk about what's happening in our state. I want to talk about a lot of things. There's a lot of things I would love to pick up and talk about. And one of the things that has become, that wasn't an issue when I started 20 years ago, but is an issue today, is that when we come to church, the world's talking about a lot of stuff. And what will inevitably happen is there will be this crisis, this moment in the world. And social media has created it. And you'll come and you'll be like, well, the church has got to talk about this. The world's having a conniption fit and the world needs to talk, or the church needs to say something about it. And we have disappointed people at times when something has happened in the world. And we say, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. And I'm going to tell you that is a discipline. It's not that we're tone deaf, but we recognize that allowing the world to set our agenda will not bring God glory. And so we discipline ourselves and we study ourselves that there's a lot of things we could talk about. And so the Word of God, the diet of the teaching of the Word of God is going to allow us to do these four things. It's going to keep us sober-minded. It's going to allow us to do endure suffering, to proclaim these truths. Hopefully you take these truths and you're the, doing the work of the evangelist. Hopefully it's allowing you to fulfill your ministry. This is what biblical preaching is all about. This is what you should be looking for. This is what anyone preaching in this place should be able to do. Now, how do we apply this? Like, what is the application? The application is I want you to start reaping the many blessings. I want you to reap the many blessings that preaching brings. God says the church will go the way of preaching. God says preaching is the way that people's lives are changed. And I want you to enjoy that. I want you to experience those blessings. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to write these three things down. Stop asking, what is the preacher going to do for me? And I want you to ask three questions about yourself, and then I'll get to me and we'll close this thing out. Number one, am I prepared? Am I prepared? Okay? When did you get ready for preaching today? You came to a place, you knew if you've been here before that there was going to be preaching, that God was going to speak. We're going to open His Word. We're going to hear from Him. When did you prepare for this? I know how it probably started. Because preparing for Sunday morning messages starts with Saturday night. And some of you burned the midnight oil. And you came in even into the latest possible service you could come to. And you're exhausted right now. And God himself could be preaching and you would already be bored. And the reason why is you didn't get the sleep that you needed. And because of that you weren't prepared and you allowed Saturday to be Saturday. And you left Sunday for Sunday. And so you woke up this morning exhausted. None of the clothes were ready for the service. And the kids are running around. They don't know what they're doing. And so you came to church yelling and screaming at each other. 
You got to the parking lot and it's raining, which makes you even more angry. You had to park farther away than you wanted to. Your feet are wet. Your hair is all messed up. And you get into church and the first thing you hear is, Jesus brings joy. And so Josh and the team come up and they play and they're terrible, you think. It's too loud and they didn't pick my right songs. And now Tim gets up and he's spoken way too long. Doesn't he see the clock in the back? Come on, but all. Yeah, you can blame us. You weren't prepared. Let me ask you this. If you went to work with that attitude, to school with that kind of preparation, you'd fail. But we think it's okay to do that at church. Are you prepared? Number two, let me ask this. You knew God speaks to us through the preaching of His Word. Did you pray for it? Did you pray for this moment? Did you pray, Lord, I'm going to hear from you. So I don't, Lord, I, I want to get rid of any distractions. Lord, I want to hear from you, so I ask that you would be with whoever the preacher is this Sunday. That they would speak your word and that I would listen. Did you pray for this moment? Number three, have you actively participated in this moment? Listen, I know I'm on borrowed time the second I get up here. Every study tells me that you guys have the attention span of a two-year-old. That's what I'm told. Every Monday I get a I get an article that says, Preachers, you're preaching too long. Don't you know that, that they don't have the attention span? And then I listen to you guys and I hear you went to the last Marvel movie. It was three and a half hours long. And football season's coming and you watch two games. That's six and a half, seven hours. I get them on borrowed time. I know that I want to be dynamic in my preaching. But are you with me? Are you here? Are you in this moment? God wrote a book. We open it. We listen to what God has to say. And we apply it to our lives. And this is what will happen. God says, I will walk with you in the good times and the bad. I will lead and guide you. I will give you what you need. But you've got to listen to me. And if the church is going to do anything in the days to come, one of the essential elements has to be the preaching of God's Word. Amen?